welcome back to another Better Not Perfect podcast. We're in episode three, and I'm your host, Dr. Shay Butler, author of Better Not Perfect, From Hot Mess to Life Success, A Woman's Guide to Learning, Loving, and Being Herself Unapologetically. I am also a speaker, a writer, a mom, a wife, and an executive turned entrepreneur. More about that later. But we're so glad that you joined us today. I'm so happy that you've returned again. Or if this is your first time watching, welcome. We're at episode three, chapter three uh, of the book, Better Not Perfect. And we're just kicking it and talking about some lessons in life, um, some shared struggles and some shared trauma, and but also some shared joys and healing and victories, all to help get us on this path to better. So today, like in other episodes, I'm going to share with you the chapter title, and I start each chapter with lyrics from a song that pretty much dictates where I was at that point in time in my life. And it sets the, sets the stage um, and provides a framework for just our conversation. So thanks again for joining. Chapter three, title dying to fit but destined to be different the tween to teen years and the song i chose to go with this chapter was by michael masser and linda creed sang by jeffrey osborne and whitney houston the greatest love and the lyrics from the song that i choose to share are and if by chance that special place that you've been dreaming of leads you to a lonely place find your strength in love Man, that song got me through some hard times during this teen, these tween to teen years. I mean, they're hard enough already. If you recall your middle school, high school years, or if you're a parent and you've got middle schoolers and early high schoolers living in your house, you know, it's it's just a difficult time in general. It's a time where we're kind of floating in the ethos, just really trying to find ourselves. So there's just this desire to to just find ourselves try to create an identity you know there's just a lot of unsureness floating around the ethos and the desire to be accepted and it's something that we see really build up around that time and for many of us stays with us through most of our life it may take different forms beyond the middle school high school hallways or locker rooms or classrooms or lunch rooms but it still shows up at least for me you know into adulthood this desire to be accepted this desire to fit took me a long time to shed that and transition to a place of really just acceptance that maybe i wasn't designed to fit into every space that I wanted to be accepted in. But maybe there was a space that was special for me. Maybe I was just destined to be different. And how did I come to terms with that? Because that was part of the story. I think I first realized it. Man, so 12 was an interesting age. 12 was an interesting age in that it was the year that... um 
I started high school, started high school early. So I started high school at 12 and it was also the onset of my period at 12. So these two major things were happening at one time. And so I was told, okay, you start your cycle. You're a woman now. Spoiler alert, I was not a woman <laughs> in any way. Uh, what I was able to do was conceive a child at that age, but that did not make me a woman. Interesting how we we connect um, those two things. But for me, it was a challenging time in that there was all this stuff swirling hormonally as there are with middle schoolers in general. But like I, what I shared in the book and in previous chapters, I had just come through this period of grief and loss and I had just assumed a lot of major responsibilities coming off of a carefree childhood and I was sort of rocketed into adulthood um, after the loss of a beloved caregiver, my grandmother. And here I was sort of parenting my three-year-old daughter while my mom went to work. And, uh, you know, it was a rough time. Um, and there was a lot of overnight change in my life. And here I was trying to just be normal, quote unquote, and try to fit into high school and all the challenges that came with that. And I remember one instance, I was part of a girlfriend group. Now, you know, there's nothing more venomous sometimes than um, teenage girls can be. Not always as we are navigating the labyrinth of of life at that age and stage. Kindness isn't always the first word that comes to mind when you think of of your your crew, at least not my crew at that time. And I'll never forget that day that I was standing in my friend group and a girl walked by that they weren't very fond of and they began to trash talk her. And for some reason, I found some kind of boldness and courage um, to speak up. And I spoke up and I said, yeah, guys, why, like, really? Like, why, why are we doing this? You know, she's, she's really a good person in this way. And all the teenage venom that can be mustered was immediately turned in my direction. And I ran off in just embarrassment, found a quiet space, cried. And this song, the song that leads the chapter came to mind. Um, some of you are aware that the other verse, if you know the song, it starts with, I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I've lived as I believe. Well, I hung and clung to the lyrics of that song because it kind of, it gave me positivity. It gave me strength. It gave me courage at a time when I was being beat down. Now, some of you may say, well, you know, come on, Dr. Shea, you know, they're, you know, bigger things in life than you know, your friends telling you off. But for some of us, that was a pivotal moment, you know, because for some people, it can silence you. For other people, 
It can give you courage. Whatever may have happened to you at your standout moment when you realized that you didn't fit in with the thought process of the group you were hanging around. And if you took a bold step and it worked in your favor, maybe you turned the group around and got them to see this person in another way. Maybe you, like me, were left to feel embarrassed and just floored. But whatever it was, at the end of it, you knew that you made a decision to step out and be different. Or maybe you stayed in that group and, and you didn't speak up, but you felt really strongly that you should have. And you realized that even if you didn't speak up, you thought differently than other people. And that gave you room for pause. And you, you wondered, man, why am I different? Why, why, don't I, why doesn't this feel good? Why, why does this friend group not make me feel good? I don't feel like I fit here. And that's how I felt like most of my life, particularly around that time. I didn't fit in no matter where I went. I certainly didn't fit in high school. I told you I came out from a very religious home. So, you know, I jokingly say, you know, I look more like a 16th century, you know, Puritan than I did um, like a high schooler in the 1980s during the dawn of the hip hop era. And the clothes were just insanely bright and trendy and man, and here I was looking like a Quaker. So that didn't really help me <laughs> in my quest to fit in in, the, in my high school journey. So I was just always looking to find what I call my breakout moment in the book in chapter three. My breakout moment was really my fit in moment. You know, when was I going to be able to find my people, my crew, you know, and people that would just accept me for who I was. And that's been a life journey. But during this pivotal time, this age of 13, I was seeking that in very real, meaningful ways. And so that is when the onset of chaos began in my life. And it was the onset of chaos because I went seeking and looking for that in all of the wrong places. So I talked about my grieving. I talked about losing my voice during that time, my inner voice where I couldn't cry out for the love and attention that I needed from my family during my grieving period, losing my grandmother. And then I had this desire to fit in and I was failing at that. So one day I was walking through my neighborhood and literally the first guy that rode up on a bike, told me I was cute, told me he thought I was adorable. Not even a week later, that same boy, I lost my virginity to. Yeah. Mm. Looking back on it, bad decision. Um, I was seeking love, but I was seeking it in the wrong place. I wanted affection, I wanted attention. I got attention, but I wasn't seeking sex. I didn't know much about it, quite frankly, because I grew up in such a religious and strict home. But what I was at that time, and what I continued to be for some years after that, was victimized by my environment, 
by my circumstances, by my choices. That boy was 17. And then he wasn't the only one. And they kept getting older. And I was just a 13-year-old child seeking love, attention, validation, so much, but in all the wrong places. It wasn't long after that um, I found myself pregnant at 13. And I had my child at 14. Never did I consider it was presented to me, but I, I was so young. What I what did I know? I was a sheltered 13 year old. I didn't know anything about abortion. I got pregnant. I missed my period. I went to, who did I go? I went to my guidance counselor at a Catholic school. So um, it's so funny. So in a book, I say in a real show of Catholic Protestant unity, my mom and my guidance counselor uh, agreed that I was going to have a baby. And um, I got to tell you, looking back, I'm so glad that that they did because my daughter, who resulted um, of me making that decision at that time, is the most amazing woman and um, just has been just so much, has added so much to my life. I didn't see that at the time, though, and it was difficult at the time. You know, I had a very caring, supportive mom. Um, my dad, who I had had a lot of issues with um, growing up in the past and who struggled with addiction, but who always, always, I never questioned his love for me. Um, he just wasn't able to be the dad I needed him to be at that point in my life, that every little girl needs. The first I love you should really be from your dad. The person who affirms and validates you and your femininity um, should be your dad. And I love, love my father who has since passed away. And it took me years to be able to come to terms with the fact that he really did the best he could. Um, but to say it wasn't enough. But man, that I don't want to leave you with this impression that, you know, my parents were you know, they were they did the best that they could. You know, my mom was coping with her own grief and loss, so she became a workaholic and a churchaholic. My dad, you know, lost himself in life and the pressures of life in other ways through drug and alcohol addiction. Um, but both were able to still love me in spite of their challenges. But you know, if you're a parent, you may love your children too. And sometimes the love of a parent is just not enough. You you want the love of your peer group too. You want to be affirmed by your peer group too. And that's what I was looking for. And that's what I was have, having a very difficult time finding. And there just was no fit for me at that age. And so I really struggled. And I struggled too going into to motherhood. It was definitely not a way to receive affirmation and acceptance in the church that I was part of at the time. It wasn't the way to receive it in your my neighborhood because it just gave more gossip and fodder to the old biddies on the bench, I used to call them. Certainly wasn't the way to receive affirmation and validation in school, Catholic school. Can't stay in Catholic school pregnant, so I had to leave for a short period of time, and I went to a school for teenage girls 
And it was horrible for me at the time, but looking back on it, I'm glad I did because it really taught me some things about parenting that, you know, um, my mom knew a lot, of course, but it told me some textbook things about parenting that really helped me. So sometimes you can be in a situation that feels bad and looks bad, but I talked about this in the previous chapter. There's still some lessons and some takeaways and some good things when you look back over your life that you can find that it was horrible at the time. But as I look back, man, there were some great lessons learned. So I had this baby and um, man, a lot happened in those tween the teen years. You know, in addition to motherhood, I launched off to college at 16. And, um, yeah, that's the next chapter failed out at 18. Yeah. Wasn't quite ready, but I was still dealing with a lot of stuff and still trying to find my place in this crazy world that I had created. And that was handed to me too. So with all this chaos, I was just trying to figure out my path to better. And isn't that all? what we're all just trying to do. So we have a question that came through from one of the readers of the book, and we'll listen to her question right now. Hi, Shay, this is Carla from Gilderland, New York. And my question to you is, when you become a light or you are at least discovering your voice and you're standing firm in what you believe in how do you protect your energy right because sometimes when you're a light you attract and sometimes what you can attract might not be other people's best intentions for you or you may end up being more of a target and a bullseye because people see you and may feel jealous of you. And so how do you protect your energy? Thank you. Thank you, Carla. What a great question. Um, I like that you use the term light and energy. You know, I believe that we all carry a light inside of us, but I believe that not everyone is willing to let that light shine. And sometimes suppressing that light means it's easier to fit in because um, you can just sort of ride the wave of normal and not be exceptional. Um, but when you're exceptional and you choose to show that you're exceptional and let that light shine, sometimes it can draw a negative attention to you. And within that, you have to set boundaries. You have to know, one, who you are. You have to not apologize for being who you are. We all have ways in which we can grow. So I'm not saying when I say be who you are, just like I say, I don't say that when we are being ourselves unapologetically, it doesn't mean that we're just going to through life and sensitive of other people's feelings and emotions. No, not that at all. It means that we're going through life saying, hey, this is who I am. I have some good aspects. I have some challenging aspects to me but I'm trying to show up authentically. And if there is something that I do to harm you or something that I'm doing to annoy you, 
you know, show up authentically with me and let's have a conversation. So that's what it means about being unapologetic about who you are. But sometimes even that can be intimidating to others. So you mentioned people who may be jealous of you and your light. And I think anyone who chooses to shine their light has to understand that um, it comes with a cost. And maybe that's not always fair. But you have to ask yourself, am I willing to pay the price for greatness? Am I willing to pay the price for purpose? Because if we dim our lights, we can't walk in our purpose. We can't because we can't be our most great and authentic selves. We can't let our talents out. We can't bring our, our talents to work and really shine because we're so afraid of what others may think or say about us because we're doing so well or, um, or because we're trying so hard. And so I think that really it's the decision point of this, of accepting, becoming self-aware and self-accepting. So this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I love doing. And I'm going to have to learn how to care less about those um, who hate for the sake of hating, um, who don't embrace or accept this light. If this light is in a place that's benefiting others and helping others, then it's a light that I know I'm called to shine. And it's not just about me, but it's about how I'm using my gifts and my light to help others. And if people can't accept or embrace you on that, you really just got to get to that point where you just let people be who they need to be at that point, because that's where they are on their journey. But you can't internalize where they are and make it about where you are to the point that it stops you from being successful and being that light. So draw your boundaries and... um Begin to work, doing the work, and ask yourself, why is it so important to me that these people accept me? And how can I move beyond that need for acceptance? And how can I acknowledge that they may be jealous? Doesn't make them bad. It just means that they're busy, so busy looking at my light that they are not putting all the attention that they can into letting their light shine. Because when they turn their attention from you and turn it on to them, well, I think the whole room will just light up, right? So thanks, Carla. So we are winding down this episode, but there's more to come. So I hope you'll join us again next week as we look at the Better Not Perfect podcast and continue the conversation on this journey to better I want to thank you for tuning in. If you want to hear more and listen to past episodes, you can watch past episodes at drshaybutler.com. That's www.drshaibutler.com. And on the website, you'll find my social handles um, and other things and, and the book that we've been walking through and referencing. And yeah, we'll continue the conversation next week. So thanks for showing up. Bye-bye.